Alright, with that, I believe, I hope my husband has had enough time to change and get ready. <laughs> so, if not, I think I've stalled enough. Um, we're going to... Alright, we're going to um, switch gears here and go into our message. I'm going to read the scripture for today. So, those back there, if you want to put that up on the screen. It's from Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. This is uh, the word of the Lord. Now, I'm normally not dressed so casually for a Sunday morning. But because being baptism service, I decided not to ruin a perfectly good belt and good shoes. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like ready. Um, today is the day I know many of you have been waiting for. You know, Halloween. I think you mean Reformation Day. And you guys can see through solid wood, right? Um, Reformation Day. The Reformation was a watershed moment in Christ's church. It wasn't the first split, but it was the most significant split. And it wasn't about who should lead the church, it was about how should the church be led. Amen. By the Spirit, by by God's Word. Out of out of the uh, out of the Reformation came the five solas, and that's the series we've been going on. The five solas, they were the five finger death punch of the Reformation. Um, we've gone over sola scriptore, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola Christos, by Christ alone. And now finally today, we have our, we have our next one up. Rocky's so great. I just ask him like on a moment's notice to do things. He's ready to do it. I love it. These five things, these five solas, they're, they're important um, for many reasons. How Five solas, they're so incredibly important because it's about how God builds his church. I have a slide on there, I think called church, that I want to go over with everybody here. And how the five solas is how Christ builds his church. Um, is the one I think we church. Thank you very much. Alright, if you look at the screen right here, you have a three-pillared house. And in this, in this, you have the foundation of scripture. Everything we do, it's our rule for faith and practice. Everything we should do in church and in faith should be coming from the Scripture. Not from authority figures, not from daydreams, but from the Scripture itself. It is the firm foundation. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say I am? Some said Elijah, others said a prophet. And Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter, and Peter means little rock, so he's doing a play on words here. You are Peter, and on this rock I shall build my church. The rock that he's referring to, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, mere human wisdom didn't reveal that to you, my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And that is what our foundation of the scripture. Holding up the church is by grace alone through faith alone. I had preached on that, that we are saved by grace 
through faith and through no other means. Not by works, not by sacraments, not by rituals, but by grace, through faith. Nothing we can add on to that. If we add anything, it becomes a work. And finally, it's all wrapped up in Christ alone. Not Christ and leaders, not Christ and pastors, not Christ and the church, but Christ alone, the hope of glory. And finally, we have the roof of the church. But this roof is much higher than the roof you're seeing right there. This roof is so high that it is in the stratosphere. It's higher than that. It's in Alpha Centauri. It's beyond that. It goes up forever because it is about the grace of God and the glory of God alone. So today is sola de gloria, to the glory of God alone. Go to my first slide there. I want to explain that. There we go. This right here is the signature at the end of Handel's Messiah. And it is, um, it is SDG, Sola Dei Gloria. Handel and Bach, they were, known, they were known for this, signing the end of their work with SDG, Sola Dei Gloria, to the glory of God alone. They believed that God was using them for His glory and His glory alone. One of my favorite stories of any composer is Handel. When he composed the movie, that, that movie of Cerato, known as the Messiah, it took us through all the entire scripture, how it was all about Jesus Christ. Last week, I had the youth come up and they shared how Christ is found in every book. And the Cerato, the Messiah, you see throughout the beginning of the Bible to the very end, it's about Christ, it's about the Messiah. This story comes from his time of writing that Handel composed Messiah without getting much sleep or even eating much food. By the way, Messiah is the one that has that chorus, Hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God. Hey, uh, I, was, I, was part of, I was part of a community choir one time, you sang. Um, when his assistants brought him meals, they were often left uneaten. His servants would often find him in tears as he composed. When he completed Hallelujah, he reportedly told his servants, I did think I did see all heaven before me, and the great God himself seated on his throne, with his company of angels. Handel, Bach, the great composers of yesteryear, realized that it was to the glory and to the glory of God alone why they should do anything, including composing such incredible moving symphonies, orchestras, or certos, operas. It was to the glory of God alone. That you and I exist for this very reason, for the good pleasure of our Creator. Last week I mentioned how it was kind of hard narrowing down a verse for Christ alone because all scripture is about Jesus. Well, this year it was even harder because it's all about the glory of God, too. So I, 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 I finally decided on Romans 11.36, though I could go much further. And in preparing this week's sermon, I was telling my wife, it's going to have to be like probably one of the shortest sermons I've ever preached because we have nine, nine baptism candidates. I love doing baptism on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah, indeed. This is wonderful. So I'm like, it's going to have to be probably one of the shorter sermons I've preached in a long time. Uh, those of you who've been here, you know, I, I know, I know you're engaged and it's awesome. I do preach for a little bit longer than some other preachers do. So I saw my wife that, and, and um, then I was thinking, I was like, actually, this is going to be one of my longer sermons, because unlike my other sermons where I might have three or four illustrations, today I have nine illustrations to the glory of God. 
This was planned by the Holy Spirit to have our baptism Sunday on a Sunday where we are focusing on giving the glory to God and the glory of God alone. Have you ever asked yourself, you know, for heaven's sake, what on earth am I here for? What is the purpose to my life? You know, theologians, philosophers, kings, and tyrants through the ages have been asking that question. What is the purpose of mankind? Why am I here? I can tell you why you're here. I'm actually stealing this from the Westminster Short Catechism that comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith. I think this is relevant to all churches. It asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Mankind, that is. What is the chief end? What is it all about? The answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If you don't get that, I don't care how much money you make, how many friends you have, how much influence you have, how many Instagram followers you can get, your life is utterly meaningless. And that is the sad state of the world we live in. You know, I'll open up Instagram and they'll show an ad of some TikToker who has like a billion views and how they're still miserable. Like, okay, that didn't fill them up. In fact, the most miserable people on the face of the earth are the people who've gotten everything they wanted and found out it wasn't enough. That there is an agony at the end of ecstasy which is worse than all of the pain. But for those of us who know the secret that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. I took that quote from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That He truly is enough. Nothing more to get, nothing more to gain. There's so many things in this world that I enjoy the cherry on top of the Sunday, but the Sunday is God. If I have Him, that is all I need. So we're talking about glory. What does glory mean? It's a churchy word we use a lot and we throw around, but we never really explain it. Well, I know glory happens to be a dog over at the Olmstead's place. It's a good dog. How about we start with our own language, English language. What does glory mean? According to Merriam-Webster, they define the word as the public praise, honor, or fame. So that would be like if I was to pick somebody in the congregation, I started talking you up. I could glorify you in front of the in front of the congregation. <clears throat> something that brings praise or fame to somebody or something. It's also something that is a source of great pride. For instance, the uh, pride of West Bend is the grotto. Um, I think that's pretty that's pretty apparent there. In the Greek, Koine Greek, the language of the New Testament is written in. The word for um, glory, the word for glory here in our text in Romans 11.36 is doxa, which has a variety of definitions. It is the good opinion that comes from experience. We are going to be glorifying God, doxa, God today. Our, our baptism candidates have a testimony. What a testimony is, I've tasted and I've seen the Lord as well. Sometimes we think a lot of, a lot of uh, testimony, witnessing, we get nervous. If you've ever been to court, you've had to give a testimony if you're a witness. And you give a testimony based on what you've seen and heard. I've had to be a witness in court several times, and many times I have to say, I did not witness that. I have no knowledge of that. I am not an expert on this. Well, I am an expert because I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. It is also the splendor and brightness 
This is the this is the luminescent glory, as for instance, stars have one type of glory and the moon another. There was a Shekinah glory in the New Testament, which was a visible glory that Moses, when he went up to the mountain, he comes down the mountain and his face is literally bright. It's so bright they put a veil over his face. I always want to make a joke here that like, was it the light or is it something else? um, No, it was the light. And they put a veil over his face so that they could look at him because they couldn't stand to look at him because the glory was so bright. But we are told in the New Testament, the glory of the New Covenant, the glory that's within of God is so much greater because it is not fading away. That, that, that is another type of glory. Another type of glory is the absolute perfect inward or personal excellency. A most glorious condition, most exalted state. This would be the attributes of God. His omniscience, om, omnipresence. How about the Bible? Now I just read for you the definitions of the word that's used in the Bible. But you know, context is king in all verses. Sometimes a verse will want to give a context contrary to the meaning of a word or a play on the words. For instance, I mentioned Peter, name meaning little rock, and then Christ says, on this rock, his statement of faith, I will build my church. What about the context of the verse we just read? Just, just the verse itself. For from him, through him, and for him, All things are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's start with the very first part here. For from him and through him and for him, this is the sovereignty of God. You don't get to the amen if you do not trust in the sovereignty of God. If you do not see him as the source of the very essence of the thing that you find amazing, then you don't get to the amen. Then you spend your then you spend the glory on something else, yourself or or a or a celebrity. So there's three things I want to talk about the glory of God today, the glory of God alone today. One, only God deserves the glory. Two, God is jealous of his glory. And three, glorifying God is a lifestyle. Only God deserves the glory. Ro- um, Revelation 4, 10 and 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they they exist and were created. You can go to a a symphony. You can go to a, a good movie and you can enjoy it. Christian maturity is to realize that it's the thing that's behind that. That it reminds me of the greater story of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And to Him, all things are bound in Him. He has sovereignty over all. So He deserves all the glory because He's the creator and maker of all things. Now there is a difference between intrinsic glory and ascribed glory. Let me start with intrinsic glory. Intrinsic glory is there whether you recognize it or not. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord because God the Father gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is Lord, but do we recognize him as such, that he is Lord? Do we recognize that? That's ascribed glory. That is our part where we 
choose to give Him the glory that He is due. And He is worthy of it. And He alone is worthy of all the glory. He is Lord. We, do we recognize Him as such? Re- recognizing God's intrinsic glory is ascribed to Him glory. We call that worship. To ascribe Him worth. We use the term giving Him glory, but really what we're doing is recognizing His glory. The 24 elders do not give Him the title Lord. He already had the title Lord. They do not give Him the title God. He is God, whether they call Him God or not. Lord, whether they call Him Lord or not. And that is why, before we do Christ, we all feel guilty. Because He is Lord, whether we recognize Him as Lord or not. They do not make... They do not make the glory and honor and power. They recognize He is worthy of all of these things because all things, all good things have their source in Him. Unfortunately, we are thieves of glory, of God's glory. We are thieves of God's glory when instead of giving Him glory, we give it to ourselves or we give it to something else. If you've seen Peter Pan, and I have no idea about the book because I've never read the book, um, but I did see the Disney one. And uh, if you remember, he loses his shadow, he gets his shadow back, and he's thinking, I'm going to use soap to get my shadow to stick to me. And then Wendy tells him, that's not how you do it, you have to sew it back on you. So she sews it back on him, he's all excited, and he says, he doesn't say, thank you, Wendy, that was a great idea, that was smart. He says, oh, the cleverness of me. When we keep the glory, when we spend the glory, when we admire our own selves, That's what we're doing. God gave us the very breath in our lungs, and we're like, oh, the cleverness of me. Me and my friend in high school, we would do that anytime somebody had like some victory in their life, just to get under their nerves. Oh, the cleverness of me. How can we rob, we cannot rob God of his intrinsic glory is there, whether we recognize it or not, but we rob him of ascribed glory all the time. We withhold it. We take it for granted. Can you imagine if tomorrow, the only things you had tomorrow was what you thank God for today? How many of our lives would be drastically different? We rob God of His glory when we spend it on ourselves. Vanity and pride. This is largely, though, a heart issue. Many people will rob God of His glory, yet outwardly pretending to give God glory. This is the person who can't take the compliment, but inwardly they're basking in the adulation of others. God dealt with me at this one point. In time, people would come up to me after service and they'd say, Pastor, Pastor Jason, that's a good message. And I'm like, all glory to God, all glory to God. And God dealt with me. He's like, that's not how you feel at all. Why don't you just take the compliment and do what Mary, the mother of Jesus, did and treasure it up in her heart. Yes, amen. And then it's on me to give him the glory with what's been given to me. As with everything. Yes. That's why we pray before we eat. It's to give thanks to the Lord, to give Him glory for even the food that sustains us. We also give, we also rob God of, God of glory when we choose to give that glory to somebody else. This is what I'm talking about here is celebrity worship. Our, our culture worships celebrity it's amazing the things that people will do, the lengths that they will go to to have some kind of notoriety, even including individuals. I remember I went one year, and you guys, if you know me for more than longer than three seconds, you already know this, I'm a huge nerd, and I went to uh, Comic-Con in 2013, 
And I was so excited to go because I, mean, I grew up reading all these comic books. I'm like, I'm going to get to meet some of these like artists and writers of my comic books I read as I was a kid and just talk with them. Um, I don't really care too much about celebrity, but I was really surprised. I went there, and they should call it Celebrity Con, because comics were such a secondary, third, I mean, just in the distance. But it was like anybody who had any notoriety was like, oh. Like, I remember even, like, Brandon Roth, who played, like, that terrible Superman Returns movie. Like, everybody was just fawning over him. And, like, everybody I met was like, like me on Facebook, like me on Tumblr, and I'm like, I don't care. People <laughs> are like, I'm Tumblr famous. I'm like, good for you. Um, most people don't even know what Tumblr is anymore, which is awesome. Um, we do that in the church when we when we make pastors, musicians, worship leaders as rock stars, and we continue to pay for this all the time because they will fall away. You'll find out they're doing awful, awful things. And people are like, how could they do this? Because you're giving them the glory that was meant for God. Right? I remember watching this, uh, it's an old movie from like the 1960s on the life of David. And there's a part of it that's historical fiction. And Nathan the prophet is speaking to David. David had having a hard time, he's messed up horribly. And Nathan the prophet tells him, and once again, this isn't in the Bible, historical, historical fiction here. He tells him, God makes, he said, it's hard to be a king, and God makes it hard to be a king. And it's good that he makes it hard to be a king, because you're standing in this place. When I stand up here and I preach from God's word, I realize I'm standing in his place. So I need to get out of this place every moment I can. And on my own heart, I need to make sure that I'm not basking the adulation that's properly due to the Lord. I'm not saying don't tell me a good sermon after I've done a good sermon. I'm going to take that. I'm going to give that glory to God. Amen. Once again, that's a hard issue. All of this is bound up. The reason why we are thieves of glory by nature is because of pride. Pride was the first in the first sin. This, when Satan speaks to the woman, he tells her that God was holding out on her because he, know, because he knows that once they eat from that fruit, they will be like God, knowing good and evil. The essence of sin is wanting God's stuff without Him. They had communion with God. They walked with the Lord. But pride led to that very first sin. And pride is such a damnable sin because it robs God of glory. Let me say that again. Pride is such a damnable sin because it robs God of glory. And He is the only proper source for glory. There was pride in the first sin, and there is pride in every other sin. My second point today, God is jealous of his glory. When we talk about God being jealous, this is where like, a lot of people are like, I'm checked out. In fact, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, this is where she kind of checked out of biblical Christianity. She was in church one day, and the pastor was talking about God's attributes. God is all loving, he's all knowing, he's all powerful. He said, our God is a jealous God. And she's like, no thanks. You can probably understand her, her reasoning, which is, it's wrong for me to be jealous. Why isn't it wrong for God to be jealous? Well, God is not like a human. When we are jealous, we are being possessive. It's coming out of our pride. When God is jealous, it's, a, it's an understanding that He is the greatest thing. He is the best thing. He is the only perfect thing in all of the universe and beyond. And because He is a good, good Father, He wants what for us is the best, which is Himself. So if he were to share glory, 
it would be to want for something with you, for him to want something for you that is less than perfect. In essence, he would stop being who he is, who is God. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Let's break that apart here. I am the Lord. In your Bible, I, I believe that is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So you know what that word means. It's Yahweh. God's covenant-keeping name with His people. It means He is. He is the fullness of life. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is... He is when all creation is consumed by fire. He is... When there is a new heaven and a new earth, He is. When you cry out for somebody to help you, He tells you His name is the Lord, I am, period. He does not share that with anyone else. There is nothing above or beside Him. Nothing more to gain, nothing more to receive. In your heart, when it's focused on the glory of God, your priorities change. I'm often struck in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator, John the Beloved, John the Disciple of Christ. He is having this vision, and there is a scroll, and nobody's found in heaven who can open this scroll. Nobody's worthy to open the scroll. So it says he wept. And the word for weep there in the Koine Greek means to weep uncontrollably. Weep like he lost a loved one. I was like, what is, why is he so worked up? It's just a scroll. He knows what it's about to. He knows it's the judgment of God. The idea that God should be robbed of His glory caused him to weep. That is where God wants to lead us into because not all idols are carved out of wood. Most of the time they're carved from our heart. We know the old idols like Baal, Zeus, Ra. We also know of new idols like health. Health has become an idol. I didn't think about this until I saw somebody sacrifice their family to their health. Stepped out on their family, their spouse, their kids. Because working on their own health became the all-consuming thing in their own life. And the very little time they had left over just wasn't enough, so they stepped out on their family. Oh man, that's a sacrifice that people made to the old idols. Wealth. We are very familiar with this. There's been books written on, written on people who sacrificed their own souls for wealth, like the devil and Tom Walker. Popularity. The things that people do for, for, for a claim are, are nauseating. How about influence? A lot of these 90s Christian like rock stars and pastors have come out as atheists and falling away from the faith. And I remember talking with a friend, I was like, why don't they just deal with that personally? Why do they got to post on Instagram and then looking at some stupid light like they're some wise philosopher? I'm like, because they're addicted to the influence. They're addicted to the influence, and they substituted that for a relationship with Jesus. In short, they were robbing God of his glory the entire time. Finally, giving God glory is not one time an event. It is a lifestyle. The five solas... You probably can't read in my shirt, but that's okay. They go together like this. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. 
because that is true and that is how we are saved, we often see this as this is the door I go into, not the house that is being built. There's a problem with that because once we go in, we don't think that's the house, we abandon these pillars. And if you take away any part of these five solas, it is an unsecure house. If you take away the foundation, it crumbles. If you take away one of the pillars, it falls apart. And the worst of all, God is then robbed of His glory. We look at the Bible. People often think, well, I go into the door through the five solas, and now I want the deep things of the Lord. Well, the Bible is the deepest of special revelation we will get on this side of eternity. Righteousness comes by faith. There is no other way. It's not by works, including as believers. We already tried works and we failed miserably. When it comes to grace, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. All of these are lifestyles, not just something we did once. Jesus says to take up our cross daily. And giving the glory to God is a habit, it's a lifestyle. It's one that when we stop doing it, we get out of the habit. We take for granted, we spend the glory on ourselves, we start worshiping celebrity. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. A poet one time wrote, and I forgot to put her name on here, there is nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred, and that is one of the deepest messages of the Incarnation. What you do in this life can echo in eternity, or it can just fade away. Every good thing was meant not to terminate in and of itself, but it was meant to bubble up to the glory and praise of God, which is eternal. I remember in high school this became so powerful to me, because um, I was in choir, and um, I would participate in um, competition, and so I would spend the entire year working on one song, and then I would get to the competition, I'd get judged, I'd either go on, or I, or I wouldn't, and then I'd think, oh man, this whole year I've been, try- I've been striving after this, and it's like, you know, I, I didn't get the fulfillment in this, and I, I realized something so powerful, because the, every step of the way I did it for the glory of God, it is now eternal. And this fantastic thought occurred to me that 10,000 years from now, when I'm with the Lord, I don't intend to live that long, um, when I'm with the Lord, whether in the new heavens, the new earth, or in heaven, the lover of my soul, my best friend, my older brother, will turn to me and say, you remember when you were practicing that song and you gave me the glory? I could be the President of the United States, but if I didn't do it for the glory of God, it would vanish. Mm-hmm. We think a lot of that, like the, 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 the position of the President of the United States. 10,000 years from now, you couldn't care less. Unless it was done for the glory of God. Amen. That is what makes temporary things eternal, is when we do them for the glory of God. So, we are about to hold a baptism service. And if this does not confer anything, this isn't a magic rite. This is a recognition of what God has already done and to glorify Him because of the mighty works that He has done in these nine individuals. Like each and every one of them will tell you, see and come and see what the Lord has done. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Finally, don't hold the amen. We started off with that verse from Romans chapter 11. 
Verse 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If he is not our source, if he is not our everything, we withhold the amen. When we choose to give our glory to something else, we hold the amen. But everything that happens in our life is an opportunity to ascribe glory to God who richly deserves it. The amazing thing that happens from that, that is that we then live a more fulfilling, joy-filled life. I was speaking to my wife, and we were talking about um, like our, our trip. We went to Hawaii this last year. Long story short, tickets were super cheap because everybody's so worried. Um, but anyway, I was like, you know something? I enjoyed it, but it didn't give me joy, and it didn't give me happiness. I don't depend on trips to give me joy and happiness. I don't depend on physical things to give me joy and happiness. I enjoy them, then I give the glory to God. Well, I'm so excited today to have nine illustrations about giving God glory. Those who are in my office, you can open up the door now. I'm going to be switching from out of my wireless mic because I don't want to get zapped. So... I'll need Pastor Curtis to come over here. Thank you so much, Rocky. 